0: Welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity 2.0, the One True Podcast. Possibly the greatest podcast in the known universe. Actually, the greatest podcast in nature and supernature.
1: Yes, yeah, some unknown universes, alternate universes, and M-Space.
0: Doesn't matter. We're the greatest. <laughs> we probably have... Uh, Millions of listeners, not only here, but millions of uh, listeners in other dimensions.
1: That's right. All of my iterations of myself listen to it. Uh, I believe this week's episode is brought to you by Too Much Snow and back pain.
0: Jesus. Fucking took me two goddamn hours to get home. Two fucking hours, Matt.
1: And I realize I just said this week's episode, so we can all laugh about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is this week's episode about?
1: This year's episode is about C.S. Lewis, ah, that fucking one guy, Um, fuck, (laughs) C.S. Lewis's masterpiece, Mere Christianity.
0: Yes, but before we get to that, uh, I would like to do Chuck's Medical Corner. Let's go right into Chuck's Medical Corner.
1: Okay, but before that, I've got something special for you. Really? It's time for a -a Chuck-a-dote.
0: What in God's (laughs) name is a -a Chuck-a-dote?
1: It's an anecdote about Chuck.
0: All right, Matt, proceed, but know that I will probably edit it out of the podcast anyway.
1: Like everything I say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to studiously avoid mentioning anything about my personal life, but uh, go right ahead. This won't be too personal. Is it as embarrassing as listening to Striper as a child? Nothing is that embarrassing. (laughs) I'm being excoriated
1: online now. My (laughs) reputation is is ruined. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Deservedly so. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, no, but uh, you might remember, Chuck, that um, at one point you got married and you picked the best man. And that best man
0: was this man. That is correct. <laughs> Matt Wakefield, my best man at my wedding. That's right. And I thought,
1: oh, God, I've never done this before. What do you do? You, you give people a party, right? You give them a bachelor party. That is uh, correct. And I suppose things should happen there. But then Chuck said, No. Thou shalt not give me – he talked like this back then. Thou shalt not give me a bachelor party. Really? <laughs> you
0: know, I actually told you not to give me a bachelor party?
1: You did. You said you said you didn't want one. Um, so I gave you one anyway,
0: but do you remember what it was? No, I thought you just had a bachelor's party without me. <laughs> well,
1: I did. I did. I knew but, it. Uh, that's his regular Saturday night at the strip club. <laughs> this one's for Chuck. Um. No. We. I took you. Um. Skydiving.
0: Oh, that's right. Oh my God. I thought that was a birthday present. It was one of those things that kind of counts for everything. You know, <laughs> combination Christmas birthday. Right. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, for my wedding gift, you nearly fucking kill me. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. And as we get, I remember we get to the uh, to the airport
1: and we're suiting up, and you you lean over and you go, "Hey, um, you know, I'm afraid of heights, right?" <laughs> <laughs> you big fucking dick and i was like uh i guess i missed that in, in the years that i've known you i would have figured it out except the place that you got married at that we went for the um what do you call that? the rehearsal
0: yeah it was a top- bridal bridal falls right yes yeah and you ride the little gondola car up, the little tram, whatever it is. Yeah, a glass track. bomb tram. My grandmother refused to get on there because she was uh, even more afraid of heights than I was. Smart woman. <laughs> I I might not have done it myself
1: if I had known what was at the top, which was like some sort of two-by-four and plywood shack that overhangs the cliff. Yeah. Where, When you step out of the gondola into it, you're at, you're at, you're kind of pushing the gondola away and opening up a gap of right. that
0: <laughs> like a thousand foot straight drop. You know that that uh, whole building fucking collapsed into the side of the mountain like three or four years later. So I wanted to take you to do something safe. Yeah. You know, like take me up in a fixed wing aircraft and jump the fuck off of it. <laughs> you did great. <laughs> I, I, I must have been. Uh, we, we got a little video of this, I think. Um, I, I God, I, I remember being scared shitless. Uh, on the way up certain i was going to die i remember reading an article saying that you know people get certified in this and so they do like 20 jumps or something and that made me feel better i'm like oh good people like jump 20 times and they're still fucking alive so that's good well only 40% of them make it <laughs> so so yeah you you fucking get out um once we were at i think 9000 feet you jump spin around a little bit until you stabilize yourself and then just keep checking the horizon, the altimeter. I'm convinced they do that so you don't fucking vomit all over the person who's attached to your back.
1: Something to keep busy. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> keep
0: you distracted until you pull the parachute. Although, that was probably the greatest feeling in my life up until that point, is pulling that parachute and actually getting yanked up and, and uh, then floating down. After that, I didn't really care what happened. <laughs> it is great, as long as you made sure to get your junk out of the way when you suited up. <laughs> I lived. I survived. I don't care about my junk. I made it. And that's this week's Chuck-a-Dote. Uh, all right, now that Matt has used all of the time for Chuck's Medical Corner, I suppose we should get into C.S. Lewis.
1: Oh, do we have to?
0: Clive Staples Lewis. Clive Staples Lewis, Matt, was born in 1898. Do you know that at the age of three, he demanded to be called Jaxie? <laughs> I-
1: what I, I mean i was gonna say if i had name was clive staples i might go with something else but Jaxie
0: <laughs> apparently Jaxie was the name of his dog thou shalt call me Jaxie. so <laughs> he was actually known not as clive not as staples not as cs but as jack to his friends for the rest of his life after they probably refused to call him Jaxie. the fucking dog <laughs> uh call you
1: Jaxie Clive
0: you know, we're, we're going to talk about mere Christianity but uh, I, let, let's do a little bit of, about his life first at the age of 9 his mother who he loved died of cancer now his dad being the sensitive soul that he was immediately took this opportunity to send Jaxie off to boarding school oh Jaxie? fuck you little 9 year old boy <laughs> now that your mom ain't here I ain't taking care of you either so he shipped him off uh, C.S. Lewis hated this um, at uh, Malvern College, he had to put up with, with what they called the fagging system. You know what the fagging <laughs> system is, Matt? The fagging is that when is that when they throw cigarette butts at you? <laughs> I don't know what it is with uh, the English and the term fag, but it's uh, cigarette butts, and it's also their name for this sort of hazing system. Um, you know, like in fraternities, right? Yeah, you know, this fucking hell week. Uh, in Malvern College, the upperclassmen put the underclassmen through this fagging system where they just fucking brutalized them, and the lowerclassmen would kind of toady up to the upperclassmen and, you know, beg not to be brutalized, but they get brutalized anyway. And then when they became upperclassmen, they would in turn brutalize the younger classmen.
1: Ah, oh, the circle of
0: life. So, hence the term fagging system. I guess. Yeah, I don't, I Cause don't know. Because there's butt
1: sex in there somewhere.
0: I don't know. Uh, where that came from. Anyway, uh, he actually escaped this in 1914 where he studied under the atheist William Kirkpatrick, who was a um, philosopher who taught C.S. Lewis critical thinking skills.
1: Well done. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well done, Kirkpatrick, you fucking moron. Uh, Lewis volunteered for World War I. Didn't have to go. And Lewis was—he didn't like the fagging system because he was—he was kind of a, a nerd. Actually, wasn't very athletic. Probably got the shit kicked out of him on a routine basis. So uh, he didn't have to go in World War One because I think uh, he could have gone into academics or anything like. That, you know, blah blah blah. Anyway, he volunteered for it and he it was actually wounded in combat. Now, if not for his service, he probably would would not have gotten into Oxford. He, he later attended Oxford. I don't know if this is well known or not, but C.S. Lewis was terrible at math. He, he never would have passed the, uh, the math portion. You know, they have like the, their version of our SATs where you have math and verbal. Uh, he would have excelled at the verbal, but he never would have passed the math portion of the exam. But because of his service, that entrance exam was waived, and so he got into Oxford. Oh, nice. Well done. <laughs> nice
1: work. That's how you, <laughs> uh, Lewis, I
0: should have done that. Lewis was a, an atheist. And, we you know, when they say this, I never know what to believe. You know, were they an avowed atheist? Were they a hardcore atheist? Did they re- reason through all this shit and come up with that? Or did they just kind of default to atheism because their family wasn't all that religious, you know?
1: That's I don't know. what I'm thinking. Whenever I hear that, I'm thinking, you're a default atheist. You, just, <laughs> you never cared about it until you converted.
0: And so he became a theist at, in 1929 after he was arguing with a number of Christians he met at Oxford, including uh, Catholic J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, he wrote an allegory about his conversion that was called The Pilgrim's Regress, which is, I guess, a, a reference to some obscure 17th century n- novel called The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it was widely panned. <laughs> <laughs> no one really liked it, perhaps because it was too fucking obvious an allegory. All right, Matt, um, the character starts out in a village called Puritania.
1: Pure? I wonder what that means.
0: Yeah. It was peopled by a bunch of Puritans, basically. So, um, you know, Lewis is, is never one to be subtle, and um, that uh, Pilgrims Wait, in,
1: in the in the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, I had no idea <laughs> what was going on there until the end. Actually, With, it's Jesus.
0: Actually, <laughs> it was a big surprise. <laughs> Narnia is clearly allegory, although that. Claim really pissed off C.S. Lewis. He did not consider the Chronicles of Narnia to be allegory. He did not? No. And and he bristled at it. Maybe because, you know, the Pilgrim's Regress was such a fucking obvious sledgehammer allegory that by comparison, Narnia was a slightly less obvious allegory? I don't know. Uh, C.S. I, yeah. C.S. Lewis bristling
1: at that accusation reminds me of Kirk Hastings. Kitty box into an
0: intellectual corner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Lewis would say, you know, you can read all of Narnia without even understanding that it's allegory or, or I mean, uh, it has a Christian undertone. Uh, it, you know, and he says it's a different story, right? It's a, it's a different story. It, you know, even though Aslan is a Christ like figure and he sacrifices himself and he's sinless in, in exchange for someone who is uh I don't know, committed treason or was a traitor or whatever, this Edmund yeah. character. Uh, and, and he was humiliated and tortured and, and killed and and then died. And then a fucking stone slab cracked in two, just like the uh, veil at the temple. And then he comes back more powerful than, than, than he was before. It's not an allegory, you see, because it's he's a lion. I don't get it. <laughs> so he says that you know you can read the chronicles of Darnia without understanding that it's about christianity uh did you get it when you first read chronicles of narnia
1: uh yeah but i was very christian too so does that yeah. count
0: yeah uh, you know i was mormon and i read it in the sixth grade and i'm like wow this is fucking obvious
1: you know the part that got me is if you read the whole series at the end when he meets uh i can't remember what the people are but um there's some people that are that they worship some other god, and and one guy turns out to be good, and he just says to him like, "Everything you've done for the other guy, I just I'm taking it on me. All the worship you gave him, that's my worship." And I would thought, well, that's a that's a great way to answer that question of like, what to do with all those other people in the world that never knew about Jesus, you know?
0: Right. I'll just co-opt their worship. <laughs> right, <laughs> I've taken that. Lewis uh, actually told someone, you know, because he often replied to fan letters, he said to the parents, don't explain this to the children, the Children, don't explain the Christian underpinnings to it, because then when they go to church, they'll love Jesus like they loved Aslan, because they'll see the, the similarity. And, you know, I'd reply, you know, if you have to explain it, if there's something to explain, Jaxie, it's a fucking allegory! <laughs> anyway... Jaxi, uh, mere Christianity. Um, you know, it, it actually, uh, this uh, Pilgrim's Regress, even though it wasn't very popular, um, it actually sparked an, uh, his interest in literature and um, set him on the road. And he actually went on a writing spree for the next fifteen years, and writing tons of different stuff. But you'll notice a, a subtle thread running through all of them. You know, everything that he wrote had obvious Christian overtones. You know, from Chronicles of Narnia to to, uh, his science fiction trilogy, um, the Malachandra and Paralondra stories, and um, his 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 poetry and you know everything everything had Christian underpinnings. His most famous work, uh, probably his Mere Christianity, that began as a series of wartime radio talks Lewis did during uh, World War II. I think from 1942 to 1944, he. Uh, became president of the Oxford Socratic Club, where he sharpened his apologetic skills by arguing with atheists. He was part of a, a, a group called the Inklings with J.R.R. R. Tolkien, where they'd meet in, in a bar or a pub and read portions of their unfinished works for critiques uh, by each other. Um, these works included Lord of the Rings and Narnia, or what would later become them. Uh, Tolkien, interestingly enough, did not particularly like Narnia, <laughs> because he thought it was <laughs> too obvious an allegory. <laughs> And I think that pissed off Lewis to to no end. And it's a little (laughs) ironic because Lewis was responsible for for prodding uh, Tolkien to actually publish Lord of the Rings.
1: So he did something good. Yes. Uh,
0: Lewis married Joy Gresham uh, later on. Uh, She died three years later from cancer, much like his mother died at age nine from cancer. Um, He wrote about this mourning process in A uh, Grief Observed. Now, Matt, he also wrote a book called Surprised by Joy – uh, I think it was about that one time where his wife offered him anal, but, uh, I can't oh. be sure. Oh.
1: <laughs> nothing? You got nothing? Uh, I'm sorry. I hear the word anal and I clam up.
0: <laughs> you need to drink more fucking caffeine. Jesus Christ, <laughs> you're falling asleep on me. All right. Um, C.S. Lewis died on, uh, November 22nd, 1963. That's actually the same day J.F. Kennedy was shot. Uh, so uh, Lewis's death was kind of buried back on page 9 <laughs> yeah. That's why I didn't know about it So that's pretty much C.S. Lewis in a nutshell Now, there are some things I actually like about C.S. Lewis, Matt There are some things I actually admire about C.S. Lewis Like what? Well, a uh, little known uh, fact about C.S. Lewis He actually donated over half the royalties of his books to charity That's admirable What charity? I don't know Probably some fucking Christian charity I'd like to,
1: uh, yeah, (laughs) I'll withhold my congratulations when I find out.
0: Uh, C.S. Lewis did personally respond to letters from his fans. And and Matt, I know uh, from personal experience, by the the fucking mountain uh, avalanche of email I get every day because of my fame and popularity, how difficult it is to to personally respond to each and every fan. (laughs) You didn't didn't get to that email last week, did you? I I sympathize with this,
1: Matt. You're like C.S. Lewis. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't hate the guy. I enjoyed his books growing up. It just uh, his logical processes are interesting.
0: Yeah, right. I, I totally agree with you. Lewis Lewis is not a rigorous thinker. Whatever Kirkpatrick taught him, if it was good in the first place, C.S. Lewis is, has left. Uh, I mean, it, this is abundantly clear even by a cursory reading of Mere Christianity or even fucking Narnia, for that matter. This is not. This is not a very great mind, even though you know, some people have called him the foremost fucking apologist of the 20th century. Now, how is that goddamn possible that in the past you got people like Descartes and, and Augustine and St. Aquinas, you know, actual great philosophical minds, and in the 20th century, we're stuck with fucking C.S. Lewis. And Kirk Hastings. Uh, yeah, who is C.S. <laughs> C.S. Light, basically. Right. Also, and this may be a factor that the time period that he was in, but he um, is often uh, criticized for writing misogynist things. Now, um, I, I hesitate to bring this up, Matt, because uh, I myself have been uh, accused of being misogynist. I don't know <laughs> where that I don't know where that came from, Matt.
1: Uh, it's all your bitch talk, bitch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in the past, this. This very podcast has been criticized by being uh, misogynist. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. I've, I've never understood 50% that. less misogynist now. I, <laughs> never understood that. Just, just because one of us uh, mistakes the vice president of the American Atheists for fucking uh, David Silverman's secretary. I don't understand how we could be considered misogynist.
1: Did that happen? <laughs>
0: yes, it did. Oh. That wasn't me, was it? I hope not. <laughs> no. That, that host will remain na- nameless. Uh, I want to tell you, though, that, that uh, is his st- fucking C.S. Lewis's stupid space trilogy. Have you heard of this or read this, his space trilogy?
1: I, I didn't even hear of it until you brought it up a minute ago. Oh, now yeah. I'm going to have to read it, though.
0: Don't. Don't read it. It's It's uh, terrible. Uh, let me just very quickly tell you what happens during the fucking space trilogy of C.S. Lewis. And you won't be surprised, Matt, to find that there are some subtle Christian overtones to the fucking science fiction space trilogy. Okay. This guy gets kidnapped, his name is Ransom, and taken to Mars, which in, in the Marcian tongue is Molochundra, And he meets a fucking bunch of talking animals, basically, just kind of like Narnia. Uh, uh-huh. But he's he's finally taken to the Oyarsa of of Mars, who's uh, the angel apparently, who's in charge of it, or he's, whatever the fuck this guy is, he's in charge of the angels or something like that. Anyway, he talks to, uh, he's very interested in uh, Ransom because he wants to know what happened on Earth because the Oyarsa of Earth a long time ago rebelled and took over the planet, and that planet was considered enemy occupied territory. Does that ring a bell? No. It, it will. <laughs> It will when you read further in Mere Christianity. Um, enemy occupied territory. And Mal El Deal, who is the person who's in charge and the creator of all this stuff, um, closed off Earth and uh, it became known as Tholkandra, Tholokandra, the silent planet, right? So, okay. quite possibly, this Oyarsa on Earth is Satan. And uh, that's why it's a silent planet. So everything else is unspoiled, like Mars. It's kind of this utopia. Uh, In the second part of the trilogy, Ransom travels to Venus, and he's carried there by angels instead of a fucking rocket ship. Uh, He's carried there by angels, and this time, instead of talking about, you know, the fall of Lucifer, the story's about um, a male and a female who are in a paradise and uh, are tempted by a Lucifer-type person, right? So, it sounds like a truly
1: unique situation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the actually, it's pretty much just the female who's tempted, and she's put through three temptations. She's she's told, by the way, and this is why this isn't an allegory, Matt. Uh, she's okay. told, you know, not not like in Genesis where Eve was told not to bite of the fucking fruit of the tree. What she's told to is in in Venus, which is a uh, paralondra, uh, it 's covered by an ocean, and there are a bunch of uh, fixed land that doesn 't float and there're a bunch of floating islands right so you can walk on the fixed land that 's no problem, but you cannot sleep on the fixed land you must sleep on the fucking floating islands and so this Lucifer type being is uh, trying to tempt her the the woman to disobey God, or i 'm sorry mal el and her husband and sleep on uh, the fixed Lance So Ransom helps her out, you know just be, because the woman can't really think for herself, you see so Ransom right. helps her overcome the temptations and uh, she goes through three sets of temptations and with ransom's help, um, gets rid of all of them. and uh, unfortunately, Ransom understands that this guy, who I think his name is Weston, is, is no longer just a sinner, he's become a sin, and so he must kill him. Because he'll keep tempting this feeble woman until she finally gives up, and then paradise will be ruined. And so, Ransom ends up killing uh, this Satan-type character named Weston. And during the course of the battle, Matt, he's bruised in the heel. He's bruised in the heel. Yeah, just like Genesis 3. Oh, dear. So, then they become their little, um, uh, they become, I think, Oyarsas of the planet Venus or something, and it's a paradise. So, we move on to the third book. Now, a major idea is called The Hideous Strength. A major idea of this third book is that there's a female protagonist who begins the story as a proto-feminist. She, she wants to kind of be independent of her husband. She wants to um, live her own life, work on this PhD. But throughout the course of the novel, she slowly realizes that women have a place in the natural hierarchy, which is beneath their husband. Um, And in preparation for this, Matt, I listened to a a, a lecture from the teaching company on C.S. Lewis. And I want to – I've avoided the temptation to play the entire fucking lecture series because it's just one of the worst things I've ever listened to in my life. But I do want to listen – I want you to listen to this portion of it now that I've set it up for you.
2: Okay. Let's hear it. Jane learns that to join St. Anne's, she must learn to give of herself in two ways. One, by submitting to the proper authority of God, Ransom, and her husband, and by accepting her role as creatures. As a creature, excuse me, as something created. Now, again, a lot of modernists attack Lewis for his view, his sort of traditional view of the family, and its traditional view of hierarchy. But I would argue that Lewis is not a woman hater or a misogynist. Rather, he is feminine-affirming. He wants to affirm the. Let's put it this way: a lot of modern Christians believe the Bible is egalitarian. Men and women are the same. Lewis believed in an older model that they are complementary. Men and women are different but equally vital and worthy in God's eyes. That I believe is what Lewis is doing. He is feminine affirming rather than woman bashing. And she must learn that she's got to take her place in a hierarchy. Holy shit. <laughs>
0: Did did you get that, Matt? He's he's not misogynist, he's not woman-bashing. Right. He's feminine affirming. They just these, these females just got to understand to submit to their fucking husband.
1: Did he read the same Bible I read? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, Matt, when I say that um black people should just accept their place in the natural order of things and that place is to submit to whites. I'm not a racist, Matt. I'm I'm black affirming. Right. I am merely black affirming. By the way, um in that fucking stupid, hideous strength novel, there there's the good guys and the bad guys. And, Of course, the good guys are are led by Ransom, who's now like a fucking biblical fucking patriarch at the head of this fucking family. Uh, the bad guys are are in a um, uh, organization called the National Institute of Coordinated Experiments, which is nice. You, you Sounds see like that? a great place. You see that, Matt? Nice, but but nice. they're but they're actually the bad guys. But but it's named nice.
1: Oh, ha ha! I see. <sighs>
0: But my favorite, though, is the, the female character, the the good person, is uh, in the organization the Society of St. Anne's. And uh, if you spell that backwards, it's ass. <laughs> I thought it was Sosa. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fucking Lewis. Uh, so, I mean, I you know, I, I don't know. I it, This this whole... Uh, God, I don't know if I even want to go here. You know, this this whole talk about feminism uh c.s lewis was he a misogynist was he not was well, it just a fallacy of presentism are we judging him by you know 21st century ideals when he's in the middle of the fucking 20th century brings me uh kind of to talk about this whole rift in the atheist movement oh god you're bringing it up
1: he's bringing it up
0: <laughs> and again Matt. I'm a little hesitant to go here because I think I'm a, a vulnerable on the topic. I feel like, you know, we we've made jokes that could be considered misogynist, but they're kind of, you know, they're kind of laughing with people instead of at them. Do you think uh, they see it that way? They fucking better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I kind of feel like you remember when David Chappelle got offered a forty million contract and fucking lost his mind and flew over to Africa. Right. I think later he was talking about how. He's just not sure if he could continue doing a show that allowed all these white fucking racists cover because, you know, he's, he's telling these racist jokes as a black guy. But then it, it allows all these white people who are obviously bigots and racists to use the same jokes, right? <clears throat> so I feel a little like David Chappelle, uh, except I don't have a $40 million contract. So you're saying you're the victim here? <laughs> Yes, in the exact same way that Dave Chappelle was the victim. Um, the doing joke. The problem with jokes like that is that you give cover to people who are actual misogynists. Um, and and toward the end, honestly, I couldn't tell whether Leighton was joking or whether he actually was a misogynist. I uh, and I think you can tell if you listen to later episodes that he's really starting to get on my nerves. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Because
1: it used to be. There was a, there was a, uh, it was almost part of the gag. It was like, ah, Jesus was your response, and then after a while, it was like, oh, that Jesus wasn't like the counter response. That's that's kind of genuine,
0: right? Ex- right, exactly. And you know, it used to be like a wink and a nod. Ah, oh, we're joking. But then I thought, you know, are we are we actually <laughs> are we actually providing cover for actual misogyny? I can't tell. You know, you're to the point where you, you you actually cannot tell the difference. But I am going to wade into this field. You know. Um, have you been following the whole deep rifts in the atheist movement? I have been following them. So, I mean, in a nutshell, there there have been a few events that have caused deep rifts. The first, I think, that caused it was Rebecca Watson with her elevator gate uh, fiasco, where, you know, a woman got on YouTube and, and dared to say... To a man who followed her in a foreign country at four o'clock in the morning in an elevator and, and hit on her by asking her to come to her room and have some coffee, uh, she says, "Guys, don't do that." And that set off a fucking shit storm that is going on to this day. What? It's fucking yeah. two years later.
1: I remember when I watched that. I had to watch. I had to watch it like three times to find to find the offensive part, right. to find what, the
0: crazy part, what the people were talking about. Right. Right. <laughs> Guys, don't do that. That that was it. Guys, don't do that. Uh, and that set off, you know. Uh, Rebecca Watson's been fucking vilified for the last two years. Jesus H Christ! Everywhere she goes, you get these people screaming at her. She's got a bunch of emails and people falling around on blogs leaving these comments. It's unfucking believable to me. And, and then you have the whole uh, Thunderfoot fiasco, I guess, on free thought blogs, where he. Uh, I guess that was precipitated by. A discussion, a fucking discussion about sexual harassment policies at, at skeptic conferences.
1: Yeah, and that, oh my god, that turned into a whole nother thing.
0: The fact that we're even arguing whether there should be sexual harassment policies at skeptical conferences tells me how bad the fucking problem is. It should have been a no-brainer.
1: It, it, it's been such a colossal waste of time.
0: Why the fuck would you not have a sexual harassment policy? Someone well, please
1: Chuck, fucking explain some people that wanna- to me feel free to suck somebody else's toes and not get uh, harassed oh, yeah. for that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <You> <laughs> At know, least and, that's the counter-argument I heard.
0: And what, what, I, what I can't believe, honestly, is that uh, I see these atheists who, uh, you know, apparently are on our side, uh, and and they're saying shit, the same stuff that you hear from Christians. You know, the Christians are saying gays don't want equal rights, they want special rights. You hear these atheists men's rights activists, the anti-feminists, I don't know what the fuck you call them, you hear them saying, women, the problem is women don't just want to be equal, they want to be superior. You know, I I got two things to say to that. Number one, let's discuss this when women are actually equal, right? When they actually get paid the same amount of money for the same fucking job. When they uh, work all their lives against um, sexist people and, and males with privilege, to get to where they are, and they obtain a PhD, and they go to a fucking conference, and they give their talk on the work, the scientific work that they've done, and then most of the comments have to do with their fucking appearance. <laughs> it right. Just, I just it drives me up the fucking wall. Uh, let's talk about it. Number one, when women have equal rights, then we'll discuss whether they want to be superior or not. What do you say, Matt? I say yes. Yeah.
1: I say, uh, fuck. I just had a line of thought, and I forgot what you doing,
0: ranting. <laughs> I'm too slow to interject with <laughs> a comment. Uh, the second thing I'd say is, it isn't about fucking time. You know, males have have had the privilege and the power for all of recorded history. Isn't it about fucking time women had privilege? Yeah, and that's there's there's the problem. I was not
1: anytime you want to he- get a rise out of somebody, just give somebody a place of privilege and then suggest. The other people should maybe be in that same position.
0: Yes, yes. Or even <laughs> a tiny fraction of that privilege should be taken away. Oh, my God, the howls. The howls and the screams. It's not fair. I've enjoyed this privilege all my life. I've gotten used to it. How dare you take it away from me?
1: <laughs> oh, it reminds me of Carl Malone. Talking about the basketball players during the strike a few years ago, he's like, need to have a charity for the basketball players <laughs> sure these guys make a lot of money but they spend a lot of money too
0: <laughs> I mean come on it's simple math alright so I guess the last thing of that I want to say is that uh, deep riffs I'm, I'm all for deep fucking riffs I don't know you know the atheim, atheism plus movement uh, I think again if you read what, the, what it's about I don't know how you can argue with it it's atheism plus social justice I am uh, disgusted by people in the atheist movement who are not feminists. If you don't want women to have equal rights, get the fuck out of the movement. Or go make your own little asshole atheist group. Um, I'm all for deep riffs. I don't want to have to stand by someone arguing to keep creationism, for example, out of schools, then have to explain why I'm supporting this guy the next week when he's off fucking uh, telling uh, women that he that they should be raped. Right? I mean, these are comments right. that have been made Uh, at female bloggers that, that, you know, is it a joke if we rape a a feminist atheist, you know, a skeptic? Um, I'm actually wondering this. I mean, these these are actual fucking comments. Yeah. It's disgusting. The horribleness of
1: it. I couldn't believe how bad it got.
0: Right. And we're not even talking about just one comment. We're talking about people following women around, atheist bloggers, around the fucking internet, and making this shit and sending them emails on a daily basis. What we should be doing is making it easier. To be an atheist yeah. and a female, you know? Can you imagine that as a female, you, you 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 get out of that fucking patriarchal bullshit of Christianity, and you find people who are rational and reasonable, and you join their group, and they're bigger fucking assholes than the Christians were? Yeah, it's um, fuck. Why do I keep losing my train Jesus, of H. Mind? Christ? I'm fucking rehiring Layton. Where the fuck is Layton? <laughs> Just uh, the it, it's called editing. Edit. <laughs> Begin edit. <laughs> well, say something.
1: <laughs> yeah, if we can't have an edit unless I like, put something in there worth editing.
0: <laughs> I guess I guess I'll just fucking oh. talk to myself. I guess I'll okay, just fucking so- talk to myself for an hour yeah. and a half.
1: <laughs> hey, I've been getting crap on the internet. I'm supposed to just go back to agreeing with you and be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, my big problem was with you know I, I I came to to atheism in a certain way, and I always thought that like maybe other people got there in that way too, which was kind of like a it was an intellectual journey. And I don't know, I think on a intellectual journey you end up like growing a bit, and it's not just your feelings about you know religion, but it's but it's all the other bullshit that's been piled on over the years. And I mean, it's just been disappointed. I, I can't. Yeah, I, I, I wonder- couldn't believe. I can't believe what has happened. It's just it blew my mind.
0: a large overlap between the gaming community and the atheist skeptical community, right? And they're both by and large smart people, but the 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 fucking sexism in the gaming community is rampant. Rampant. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's it's slightly less so in the atheist community, but my eyes have been opened over the past couple of years, ever since Watson made the elevator gate comment. I, just, I cannot believe the shitstorm. The fact that we're fucking still talking about it two years later. Unbelievable to me.
1: Yeah. And as someone who's raising a daughter, you know, this goes right to my heart.
0: Well, it would be nice for her to, to be able to grow up in a world where she has the same opportunities. As men, and and if she's going to embrace, for example, skepticism, and atheism, that she will be embraced back as an equal and, and a partner. Yeah. Ah, oh, God. All right, uh, all right. Let's uh, le- let's move on before <laughs> my head fucking explodes.
1: You don't want to talk about what Shermer said.
0: Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's another one, isn't it? Where he said it's a guy thing. Jesus fucking Christ. Again. I understand the first response when you say something stupid like that is to turn around and double down on it and and say, uh, I was right, you're wrong. The the actual response from a fucking scientist and someone who's a skeptic and an atheist should be to examine what you said and admit perhaps, perhaps you could have been wrong.
1: Yeah. It just, you know, that statement seems like it just came from that place of privilege. And, you know, you say something like that, maybe you, you don't see how that – can be bothersome to people. But you know, right. I thought right. Shermer, you know, I, I mean what's he? I, he's uh, American Skeptic magazine or what is it called there?
0: Skeptic, Skeptic Magazine. Skeptic. Yeah, yeah, he's written a bunch of books on skepticism. Um oh. it's uh, you know, in and Richard Dawkins in the middle of the elevator gate thing saying uh stuff like Dear Muslima, you know, your your problems aren't uh, as bad as, as mine are. So, you know, look at the little American women who are whining about this when you have to deal with this. You know, totally missing the fucking point. Right. And these are not just random atheists and skeptics. These are leaders. These are people who should fucking know better uh, and who represent other people and who I'm embarrassed every fucking time I have to say, yes, I like Richard Dawkins, but uh, yes, he, of course, made a mistake and was wrong uh, in this uh, case. And, you know, Shermer, yes, I mean, I've enjoyed some of his books, but in this case, he's absolutely wrong. It just gets old all the time, having to say, yes, I agree with this, but they're fucking assholes when it comes to feminism. Clearly.
1: See, now what do the Christians do with their dead Haggards and their, <laughs> their fallen stars?
0: Love the sinner but hate the sin, I guess. Yeah. I think that's what they do. Or do they just bury him under the rug and... <laughs> It They've pretends, always got another one. Pretend that they never uh, liked him in the first place. That, right. That's—I uh, guess—that's an option too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it—it it seems on the face of it, this is—is this is reason number one why we need more diversity in the atheist and skeptical movement? We need fewer white males such as myself, and uh, more women, and uh, uh, more vocal um, diversity inside the movement, so it's not just a fucking sea of middle-aged white men. Now, speaking of diversity, this podcast is kind of a white sausage fest. I t- that's what I'm saying. We, g- we gotta shut this fucking thing down. <laughs> speaking speaking of middle-aged white men, let's move on to Mere Christianity. Never heard of it. What- <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to cover this out of all of his works um, because uh, it's his most famous apologetic work. He's written other shit like uh, The Great Divorce and Abolition of Man and and uh, a bunch of other stuff But this is his most famous um, It's probably his most accessible If he were to uh, disappear entirely from the planet I think uh, Narnia and Mere Christianity Would be the only thing he's remembered for <laughs> All of his, <laughs> That's the works.
1: only things I knew about yeah. Before this yeah. podcast if All of
0: his works were to disappear from the planet th- Those two things would be what he'd be remembered for um, Mere Christianity is in four parts uh, only the first two parts, um, which he calls books, uh, offer his apologetic arguments, and, and those are the only two we'll cover. The The other, the other, rest of it is kind of this description of the basics of Christianity. This is what he calls mere Christianity, right? The things that Lewis believes all Christians should adhere to or agree upon. This is kind of the basics. Um, the, the, this first podcast, if we ever get to it, uh, will cover the, the first part, book one, and five chapters. Um, hopefully two weeks from now we'll cover the second part. What do you think? Oh,
1: yeah, that's totally going to happen.
0: <laughs> or maybe we'll go on to something else. I don't know. We'll see. All right, so Mere Christianity, Matt. Book 1, Right and Wrong as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. So that's what we're talking about here. This this actually, it, throughout the entire thing, we don't actually get to, to Christianity yet. That's in the second part. Right now we're just talking about kind of uh, the moral argument for the existence of God. So chapter 1, the Law of Human Nature.
1: No comments on his preface?
0: No. Okay. I only have two pages written of notes. so
1: no, it's right. we'll really? that.
0: Do you really? <laughs> what do you want to comment on his preface? I guess nothing. You know, I was trying to keep this podcast as short as humanly possible, but yeah, sure, go ahead. That's true.
1: No, it was just – basically the whole preface was just talking about how he uh, – he has all sorts of co- shortcomings on theology, no expertise, only wants to talk about the least comf- or controversial subjects and avoid any uncomfortable questions, and that's this book.
0: <laughs> yeah, in a nutshell. I mean, uh, Lewis, Lewis was um, – he was born in Ireland, I think. He was a, a Protestant, and uh, he wasn't so much interested in theology as a specialist as he was – kind of bringing people together, right? He didn't, he didn't like the arguments that, that kind of happen, the internecine warfare between all these creeds of Christianity. He wanted to bring everyone together and decide upon what a mere Christianity, what, what can we agree upon, really? That's, that's the kind of after that second part of the book where he talks about what mere Christianity is. Um, he's ecumenical, I suppose, would be the term for it. Yeah. So, can we move on to chapter one? We can.
1: I just like, uh, I got just one thing. The, at the end of the preface, he says, the book's an allegory of a hall with many doors. The books, the hall, and the doors lead to various, pretty much various sects of Christianity. Yeah. And uh, I love the fact that he says, that the worst of the rooms, whatever they may be, is, I think, preferable. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of Christian you are, <laughs> as long as you're Christian.
0: Right. And he actually um, doesn't stop there either. He thinks that that even though Christianity is the only religion that has the, complete truth, that you can find pieces of truth in other religions. So it's actually better to be religious, period, than an atheist, because at least then you'll get some type of truth. Oh,
1: that's true. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm ready to move on. Excellent. Now that we've dispensed with your two pages. Chapter one, The Law of Human Nature, he actually starts off this book, Matt, by giving an example of people arguing. So he says we we come across this stuff every day you know people say how would you like it if anyone did the same to you and that's my seat i was there first and then for some reason give me a bit of your orange i gave you a bit of mine
1: <laughs> <laughs> i hate when i have those bit of orange arguments <laughs> give me a
0: bit come of on, orange she says i maybe this is in world war 2 they're rationing fucking oranges or something i don't know give me a bit of your orange it's a rare commodity Lewis thinks that uh, arguing, that this is arguing, right? The fact that we actually argue appeals to some universal law or higher standard because people don't reply by saying, to hell with your standard, right? When they cut in line and some guy says, hey, you don't cut in line. He doesn't say, to hell with your standard, I'm cutting in line, right? They reply by giving some excuse or justification. Uh, so, so, therefore, they must be appealing to some objective standard outside of themselves that they both agree upon. Otherwise, Lewis says, they just fight, instead of attempting to reason with the other person. What do you think of that argument, Matt?
1: Uh, what is he saying? He's trying to say how can we assign something to be wrong or right without a standard?
0: Well, he's saying that if someone, for example, you give him an orange, and then later on he refuses to give you an orange, uh, you say, hey, give me an orange, it's only fair. And and he'll he will he doesn't respond by saying, I don't agree with your concept of fairness. What he says is, well, you know, when I gave you an orange... You know, oranges were plentiful, but now oranges are really rare, so I can't give you an orange back, you know, blah, 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 when you gave me an orange, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, what he's saying is the fact that we quarrel, the fact that we argue about ethics, means that we're both appealing to some higher standard that exists outside of us. It's kind of like a transcendental moral argument that some objective set of morals exist outside of us, that we're both trying to reason the other into accepting, right? We're appealing to that higher standard.
1: It seems a bit of a stretch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what kills me here, and we'll, we'll probably get into this a bit later, but the opposite of um, moral absolutism, which is what or objectivity morals is, is subjectivity morals or moral relativism, right? So, right. Um, the relativist would object right here, right on page one. These two people, the person who gave the orange, or the person who took the seat, or cut in line, is obviously in the same fucking country as the other person, right? Right. So, what happens, Matt, when two cultures argue? Ah, massive chess tournament. (laughs) Well, what happens is exactly what's happening while... C.S. Lewis is giving these fucking lectures. War. World War fucking Two. When Germany invaded Poland, did France say, Oh, no. O- obviously, the universal moral law says you cannot invade Poland. And Hitler didn't say, Oh, all right, you're right. I'll just, I guess I'll just retreat. They fucking fight. That's what they do. War. That's what happens. They said, To hell with your standard. Right. Sure. That's what Hitler says. To hell with your fucking standard. I'm invading Poland. It amazes me here that he's arguing this shit in the midst of a fucking war, which is exactly what happens when two countries don't agree. They don't quarrel with each other, they fucking go to war. Alright, Lewis goes on to say this standard used to be called the law of nature because, and I'm quoting, the idea was that just as all bodies are governed by the law of gravitation and organisms by biological laws, so the creature called man also had his law. With this great difference that a body could not choose whether it obeyed the law of gravitation or not, but a man could choose either to obey the law of human nature or disobey it. So Matt, it's it's uh, this law of human nature, this law of morals, is exactly like the law of gravitation, except for the one difference that it's nothing at all like the fucking law of gravitation. <laughs> Otherwise it's exactly the same.
1: You can disobey it. That's the difference. Oh my god. Is, well, is he saying that the law of human nature is uh, natural in origin?
0: No, 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 no. It's above nature. It's transcendent oh. of nature. But he's, he's by analogy, he's drawing an analogy here, Matt. It used to be called the law of nature because because by analogy, right, if you drop a stone, it has to obey the law of gravitation. And so exactly like that, except with the one difference is that you don't have to obey this law of human nature. It's a fucking nothing like it. Yeah. <laughs> So far... I wish
1: he'd write this more as an allegory than an analogy.
0: So far, we're like a few pages into mere Christianity, and this is just fucking worthless. It's awful. Terrible. But Matt, it gets worse. I don't want to know. He says, this law was called the law of nature because people thought everyone knew it by nature and did not need to be taught it. Taking the race as a whole, they thought the human idea of decent behavior was obvious to everyone. Uh, He gives a, a current example. He says, what was the sense in saying the enemy were in the wrong Unless right, and he capitalizes that, is a real thing, which the Nazis at bottom knew as well as we did, and ought to have practiced. So, what he's saying here is that Lewis thinks that the Nazis at, at bottom believed that they were acting evilly, but somehow continue to do so, in spite of knowing that it was a bad thing to do. So, apparently the, the Nazis are these cartoonish, melodrama villains, whose only motivation was to be evil, because they knew very well that they were being evil in killing Jews. They didn't think that they were doing the world a good by ridding the world of the scourge of of Jewishness. They thought they were being evil by doing it. You know, perhaps the sense in saying the Nazis were wrong was that the Nazi view of what was good for the world was bad, according to the Allies, that the Allies disagreed. Does Lewis actually think the Nazis might have been convinced, you know, by by reason? So if we were to talk to Hitler, he'd go, uh, eh, I guess it turns out you're right. They just needed a good talking to. Yeah, he just need to be reasoned. He you just, you just need to be shown that he wasn't acting in accordance with the law of human nature. That's all. So well, goes. problem solved. He goes on to discuss the obvious counter-argument to a universal moral law, and that's that different civilizations in different ages have had different moralities, right? This seems patently obvious. But, he says, there have been differences between their moralities, but these have never amounted to anything like a total difference. Huh? <laughs> huh? How about no, that? Not huh? at all. He says, for example, that people have differed regarding what you ought to be unselfish toward, but they've always agreed that you should not put yourself first. He says, selfishness has never been admired. So, (laughs) apparently, Lewis, who's, you know, in the field of humanities, is completely unfamiliar with the egoist school of thought, which has been present since the 4th century BCE, right? That that, uh, the moral action, the action to be admired is and all morality itself flows from acting within your own self interest. That's that's egoism, ethical egoism. You know I wonder if he revised this if he if he read uh Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, which is <laughs> a fucking all about that.
1: What does he mean by a total difference? How can you say yeah they're 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 different, but they're it's not a re- it's like it's like when people say, Yeah, it was a bird, but it's not a true bird
0: well he gives he gives these examples like you know selfishness has never been admired, and he's wrong. He says that uh I think no countries ever admired people who were uh cowards who ran from battle. I don't know how you document that because if if they always ran from battle, they'd be fucking killed so I don't know how you, I don't know, how you know that. Um, he also says that you know that men have differed as to whether you should have one wife or four, right? But they've always agreed that you must not simply have any woman you liked. Right, like, oh, no. like fucking <laughs> King Solomon and his thousand wives and concubines. So if you look at 1 Kings 11, does it condemn the fact that he had a thousand wives and concubines? No, it only condemns him when his wives turned his heart away from, after other gods. That's why he was condemned. Because yeah, apparently, if he have many women and they're all a little bit evil then you have too many women, and the, you, you, you just succumb to their temptations, I guess.
1: Yeah. There's never been a time in history when slavery was seen as being okay.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, he should know this shit because he was a study of, of ancient Greeks, and uh, ancient Greeks admired the clever lie, right? How did they win the fucking Trojan War? By a lie. By subterfuge. Has he ever read the fucking Odyssey, where Odysseus is lying over and over again, and the narrative praises him for it because his clever lies get him out of these thorny situations, uh, again and again? How does that mesh with our culture's estimation of honesty? How does a universal moral law jive with with Christians who are repeatedly forging documents in the name of their holy leaders in the second and third centuries? How the fuck does that work? Universal I don't know. moral <laughs> law, my ass. <laughs> Oh, my God. He says, he closed out the chapter by saying we are forced to believe in a real right and wrong, and those are capitalized. Capital R, right, and capital W, wrong. And that while we all know about the moral law, none of us are keeping it. How do we know about it? Well, (laughs) Because you look inside yourself, Matt. If someone cuts in front of you in line, for example, you get angry because that person has violated the universal moral law. All right, well, we appear to have run out of time for this week, but uh, join us again in what should be next week uh, for the next part of our C.S. Lewis epic.